Dr. Sid Bradley, who is a PhD family therapist, told me this week, he said, far and away, the number one problem we have with people who come in the door, either themselves or in their family system, is alcoholism. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. For the next few weeks, we'll be taking a break from David's extensive study of the Gospel of John. Of course, you can find out more about that study on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. But today, David will be talking to us heart to heart about an issue that dramatically impacts our city and community, alcohol. Today is going to be on the subject of alcohol, but I'm going to talk to you as a pastor, as a dad, a dad that some of you didn't have, a granddad, as someone who has lived life for over three decades, has pastored and helped people for over three decades, I'm gonna just talk from my heart to yours. Today about one of the most difficult but problematic issues in our culture today. It's permeated the church, it needs to be addressed, the subject of alcohol. So we begin with the scripture. What I'll tell you is not my opinion. I really don't care about my opinion. I don't care about your opinion. I care about God's opinion. And I believe God has stated his opinion in his word. And I place myself under the authority of the scripture. So what I hope to give you in all of these messages, especially today, is the word of the Lord on the subject of alcohol. The first verses about the problems of wine is found right after the flood in Genesis 9, 20 and 21, the story of Noah. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And those of you who know the scripture know that this broke apart his family and caused the first enslavement of other people in the Bible. But in a positive vein, Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. You, God, caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. So, so God created wine to gladden the heart of man. John 2, 9 and 10, the first miracle of Jesus at Cana of Galilee in all of his ministry. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. From Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35, about wine and alcohol. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on top of a mast. Isn't that a great image? A drunken person lying on top of a mast of a sailing ship. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. 
Isaiah 5.22, one of the reasons God brought his judgment upon the nation of Judah. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. They brought many others down with them. That's what it goes on to say. Romans 14, 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And finally, read this one with me, Ephesians 5, 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, for be, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So I... I could be a different kind of pastor, you know. Um, There's a huge number of millennials who are now attending this church. It amazes me because every church growth expert says that as the pastor ages, the congregation ages. And in our last survey, the average age of the person who attends here has gone from 43 to 37. What I offer is just a lot of experience in these ways. And I think that what's going on here is a number of millennials, a number of younger people are coming here asking, how do I live life? I want to hear from someone who's lived life, not just another cool hip pastor. I want to hear from somebody who's lived life. So I'm going to speak to you in this area of alcohol as hopefully a man of God who has lived through a lot. So here's some facts about alcohol. Um, First of all, the reasons people drink. First of all, for fellowship. Uh, People feel like they've got to have a drink in their hands to have social interconnection. I'll never forget one of the first parties I went to when I early came to, and everybody had a drink just like today. And I had my ginger ale, and, and, and I don't drink publicly for reasons I'll explain later on. And I was talking with someone, and you get into the conversation, obviously, what do you do, or what do you do? So he asked me, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was so interesting to watch his drink slowly but surely be hidden behind his back. No kidding. I guess I have that effect upon people. Uh, People drink for fellowship. They also drink for escape to medicate their pain. At the end of a long day, I just need some alcohol to help me get through the night to start another bad day. And thirdly, people drink because of self-discovery. They really believe that alcohol releases their inhibitions and the true me comes out when I'm inebriated. Also, some people drink and immediately hate it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You take that first sip of beer and you think, this tastes like dishwater and I don't want Anymore, Or wine did not appeal to your taste buds whatsoever. But you need to understand, there are others out there that when they take that first drink, it is like reconnecting with their best long-lost friend. That's the wine that goes down smoothly and soothes their very insides. Many people call it nursing a drink. Think about a mother nursing her child at her breast. She would dare not let that child not nurse for obvious health reasons. A person who nurses a drink can't detach from that drink any more than a mother could from a nursing child. Alcohol is immediately absorbed into your system. If there's food on your stomach, maybe a little bit less, but no matter what's in your stomach, it is immediately absorbed into your system, and it changes your brain. After a certain number of drinks, it really changes your brain. The neurotransmitters that are 
elicited from your brain, they suddenly change, and at some point, nobody knows where for, it's different with different people, you cross over that line from simply drinking to becoming an addict. You need to hear this. Alcohol is not a stimulant. It is not a stimulant. Alcohol is a depressant. It does remove inhibitions. One doctor said that what alcohol does is it depresses the positive, noble, excellent cognitive processes in your brain and releases all the negative, primitive ones. That's why when people are under the influence of alcohol, they do things they'd never do otherwise. They sleep with people they'd never sleep with otherwise. They put themselves in situations where they can be coerced into sexual relations like they'd never do otherwise. They dance and yell and scream like they'd never do otherwise. There's a, pre, there's a genetic predisposition to alcohol. There's no question about it. Every medical study possible shows that we can get an alcohol gene from somewhere in our genetic past. Now, you need to know, not necessarily from our mom and dad. The alcohol gene can skip generations. That means you or I might have an alcohol gene from great-grandmom. It's a predisposed reality. Oftentimes, the most offensive biblical doctrine that I teach, that other faithful biblicists teach, is the doctrine of original sin. It means basically that we have inherited our selfish, sinful, self-aggrandizing nature from Adam and Eve's sin. Many object, why should I be held responsible for something done in my past by someone else? (laughs) Well, do you have a problem with the same thought? With genetic predispositions. For that is original sin more closely related to us. We are responsible for what's happened in our forefathers' past. And we need to understand that today, clearly. That gene may be in you or me, and when we drink, we could be rolling the dice to have an immediate addiction ourselves. The line where to draw the difference in when people are simply drinking in moderation and become addicted is hard to know. It's partly related to size and weight, whether you're male or female. In binge drinking, males need five drinks, Females need four drinks. That's one of the reasons, as alcohol has increased in our society, women are becoming more alcoholics than men today. If men are larger and have more weight, it takes more drinks to get them drunk, no question. There are also cultural influences. Interestingly, Jewish people don't have a lot of alcoholism generally in their culture. Why? Because they hire one another and they also intermarry with one another. So if someone drinks to the point of drunkenness and becomes an alcoholic, they know they're risking in the eyes of the community ever getting a job or ever being married. So there's a moral consensus, a moral pressure to avoid alcoholism at all costs. Here's some facts about alcohol. 65% of all Americans are alcoholics at some level or another. One in seven are dangerously alcoholic. Thirdly, the major factor in divorce, rape and date rape, 
murder, spousal abuse, and child abuse is alcohol. One in 13 in America will die from alcoholism. The same number as who will die by running a red light, one in 13. Dr. Sid Bradley, who is a powerful part of our staff, a PhD family therapist, a dear friend for many years, told me this week, he said, far and away, practically every problem they have, far and away, the number one problem we have with people who come in the door, either themselves or in their family system, is alcoholism. Practically every person has alcoholism somewhere in their lives, affecting them negatively. The sale of alcohol has risen 40% in the last 25 years in American life. Marilyn and I love to go to the beach over the last 15 years. We have one particular beach we love to go to. Uh, we've been interested to watch how this particular supermarket where we shop, for most of our years there, had a section that was simply applicable for health nuts. It was people who wanted to buy health food. Over the last year, amazingly, that section of the grocery store has been taken out and been replaced with alcohol. Moreover, it's not just that section. They've added three long rows of alcohol, liqueurs, wine, other beverages. It's increased 40% in the last 25 years. The U.S. economy guesses that somewhere around $223.5 billion is lost annually in the workforce by alcoholics who cannot come to work or who are at work drunk and can't perform. In the past, people have tried to regulate alcohol with prohibition. We had it in America in the 1800s and into the early 1900s. You might be interested to know that prohibition, trying to eliminate alcohol legally in America, is preceded to the 12th century. Other people have seen the dangers of it and tried to legally keep it from being sold and drank in their cultures. In the 16th century, you have Reformed theologians, for those of you who don't know, they were the theologians who fought against some of the Catholic Church's wrong doctrines, like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli. Interestingly, they taught moderation, but mostly because the Victorian atheists and the Gnostics, which was an early church heresy that, frankly, is still around today, was so offensive to them, they took the opposite side because the Victorian atheists and the Gnostics said we must abstain totally and completely from alcohol. Then, of course, in America, you had in the 1800s different groups of people coming together to promote prohibition around one single issue. They were people from the KKK to the suffrage movement trying to get women's votes rights to other organizations that came together, coalesced together for the purpose of fighting the barstool problem. What's the barstool problem? If any of you have read Charles Sheldon's In His Steps, that was the precursor to WWJD bracelets. WWJD means what would Jesus do? And many people would wear them and before they would make a decision would look at the WWJD and ask the question, what would Jesus do? 
Charles Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps from a verse in 1 Peter, which talks about how every Christian should try to live in the steps of Jesus, try to follow his ways. And he was fighting against the barstool problem. Again, what's the barstool problem? Well, in saloons that sold alcohol in the 1800s, they'd have the adult bar stools, and they would have a bar stool half the size. And therefore, the bartenders and the owner of the taverns would get the adults to come in and bring their children who would sit on the lower bar stools to try to get them drunk on alcohol so that the owner of the tavern and the bartender would have long-term jobs. Many people found that offensive, again, from the KKK to the suffrage movement to many others. By the way, for those of you who are parents with small children, you need to know that pornographers today are aiming their wares toward our eight-year-olds to get them to view that junk, burn it into their heads, get them addicted early on so that industry will always have a profit. So the barstool movement is what caused prohibition, and it lasted for several decades, but it didn't last forever. Why? Because through speakeasies, people could find alcohol, they would continue to drink, and people understood eventually that even though laws help regulate society and keep people from doing bad things, you can't legislate the changing of a human heart. The only way you can change a human heart to desire to do right is with the gospel of Jesus Christ which changes a heart that's stony into a heart that's filled with love. So prohibition vanished in the 1920s because people's hearts still yearn for alcoholism. And the problem, dear friends, is continuing to grow, I would even say proliferating today. David joins me in a conversation about God's provision for each of our lives. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart? Tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, Thank you, Mark, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry and and more importantly about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980 
298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org. And there you can see some of our photo galleries. You can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure, Jen. Thank you for helping me with this. Well, in your morning devotions, you've recently started a series that we're calling Davidisms. One that I read last week gave me pause, and you said, where God guides, God always provides. Can you unpack that for us? Well, somewhere along the way, Jen, I heard this from someone and became one of my Davidisms that I say all the time that people remember this one, maybe as much as any other one that I've done. And I think the purpose of it is to remind people that God will never lead you to a place where he won't provide for you in his leading. So let's talk about this some. The question we need to begin with is this one. Uh, Do you listeners, Jen, David Chadwick, do we all trust God constantly and completely? Uh, Do you rest assured that God is in control as he leads you in accordance with his will? and then will also provide for you every need that you will have in order to accomplish his will. And here's the bottom line. You can. Because where God guides, God provides. Everyone say that with me right now. Where God guides, God provides. It's impossible for God to steer your life in the wrong direction because God is perfect and as is his guidance for your life. God's also a promise keeper, and he promises us that we shall not want for anything. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. His very name embodies provision. So with God, we will never be misguided. We won't ever be led astray. We will never be lost. He's a good shepherd who guides his sheep well. God has a perfect will for all of our lives. He wants to lead us to places where we can accomplish his will. Provision may not be imminent. We may not see immediately how God is providing for us, but we can rest assured that as we go to where he calls us, he will meet our every need. We can go full throttle. We can go without hesitation, knowing again that God will provide our every need. Obedience is our purpose. That's what we're called to do. Provision is God's promise, something he has assured us that he will give us. So therefore, listeners today, seek God with all of your heart. Seek his will with every ounce of your being. Seek God's guidance for his purposes in your life. And when you do, you can therefore trust that he will meet your every need because here is a great Davidism that is rooted in God's word. Where God guides, God provides. It's his promise. Everyone say it one more time. Where God guides, God provides. Well, this reminds me of something that I tell my children often is that you will be protected when you obey. There is protection in obedience, and and I am providing protection to my children when I have them obey me. So this is really good. Thank you so much. And Jen, this one fits well with a previous Davidism where I said, 
the safest place to be is in the will of God. There may be turmoil surrounding you, but if you're walking in the will of God, he will protect you. He will provide for you. May I say it one more time, listeners, where God guides, God provides. And if you'd like these daily Davidisms to come to your inbox every morning at around 7 a.m., please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe to them. They'll arrive in your inbox free of charge. It's from my heart to yours to start your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of that service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to reach out to a friend who may feel isolated because of COVID-19. 